Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. You can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. We're in WITF studios today, kind of a change from our usual location of Little Lamps Coffee Shop. But we did this because WITF and Penn Live have been uh, collaborating in a rare collaboration on a project uh, to do with gerrymandering and redistricting and the process of reapportionment. We've been working on that for a couple of months now. And uh, it's a big issue. It's complicated. And we devoted a lot of our bandwidth to it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about why we did all that, why we think it is worth so much attention. And uh, here to talk about it are uh, Wallace McKelvey of Penn Live. Thanks for coming, Wallace. Always a pleasure. And Emily Pravity of WITF. You hear her on uh, the station on our airwaves along with me and our other reporters here. Hey, Emily. Hey, Katie. So uh, you guys were sort of the leads from our two organizations on this project. And uh, we all did uh, several stories Looking specifically, this version of this project, this is the first iteration, uh, and we're going to do subsequent ones, but this one specifically focused on the districts themselves, the shapes that the districts are in, uh, the reasons why our congressional districts and other um, political districts look the way they do. Um, And so that's, you know, what we were looking at. But I I do want to get into why we did this. Um, Wallace and Emily, just chime in. You know, why, why was this important to look at? I think it's all about timing. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, gerrymandering, what we're really talking about is the representation that you have in Congress uh, for the most part, although it also plays into the state districts, your state house and your state senate. Um, this happens once every 10 years around the census because the census decides uh, who, you know, wh- which, uh, which states get more representation in Congress which states get less representation in Congress because it's all about proportion. Uh, Ideally, you have uh, one person, one vote. Um, And right now, the timing is incredibly important because there are several uh, mechanisms at play to try to reform the way this process works. And we're coming up on the next census, which will be in 2020, Um, And if you actually want to change things in Pennsylvania, you have to amend the state constitution. In order to do that, you need to get a bill through the state legislature twice in two consecutive uh, sessions. And in order to get that done, it has to be done basically in the next uh, two to three years. So a big portion of this is timing. Uh, What say you, Emily? I mean, I feel like you covered it pretty well. Um, like we said, this is kind of a, a rare collaboration. Um, I guess what was so beneficial about joining forces, basically, in my mind, um, you know, you're talking about more of the subject matter right now, but the project also, um, people may wonder why, if it's so rare, do we decide coll- to collaborate on this particular thing? Um, it's it's just such a complicated issue, that, and it affects the entire state. So, you know, we kind of needed to get a large geographic uh, spread as far as our reporting to see how people in different parts of the state were impacted. And it's also very complicated. You aren't going to write the end-all, be-all about gerrymandering solely in Pennsylvania um, in one story. So we needed to do several stories, and that is 
several. I mean, maybe that's an understatement. Dozens? I mean, this is only round one. I, I think we're talking about potentially dozens of stories. Yes, yeah. dozens. <laughs> dozens of stories. So we've done a lot of a stories. Bouquet yes, we've of done stories. A bouquet of stories. Right. So, you know, I think that to really get the best reporting on that, those, that many stories, that much coverage, you have to have a sizable team that yeah. one media organization um, in Pennsylvania basically doesn't have alone. Uh, and so oh, we should also mention that our partner stations, uh, WESA in Pittsburgh, WPSU in State College, and uh, Keystone Crossroads, based, um, which is headquartered at WHYY in Philadelphia, and I'm part of that project as well, all of those were, reporters were involved. So you had a, probably 15 reporters and editors total, maybe 20, who were contributing to this project in some way, which is... I mean, it was a very big lift just logistically. So um, and one of the reasons that I think it is important that we say one of the reasons we focused on this is that there is a problem when we talk about gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is widely considered to be one of the worst gerrymandered states in the country. Um, Wallace and or Emily, like how how do we measure that? How have we been measuring how bad the gerrymandering issue is in Pennsylvania? Well, one simple way to look at it is the disconnect between voter registration. Okay, well, I don't know if that's measuring the impact, but to sort of signal it, is that what you're asking? Exactly. So to signal it, well, one thing that we should say, because we talk about going out and looking at maps and the weird shapes attracting our eye to where this might be a big issue, we should note that that is a potential symptom that if it's a weird shape, a district is a weird shape because it's following a county or municipal line, that's not indicative of gerrymandering. It's just following a relatively permanent um, political uh, geographic boundary. But if you look, but that's not always the case, right? So if you see it departing from these lines in a strange way or dividing a community in half, that's a red flag. Um, If you look at the departure uh, or disconnect between voter registration statewide and the congressional delegation, that is simple math and, you know, should invite some scrutiny as to why that is in, yeah. in Pennsylvania. And what is that math? Right. So in, in Pennsylvania, you've got 13 Republicans and five Democrats in our congressional demigration when you've got one of each party in, uh, you know, representing us in the Senate. We have a Democratic governor and a Republican-controlled legislature. So that's just, you know, why does our congressional delegation look as it does when some of the numbers, in addition to the statewide voter registration for the um, dominant political party, suggest there should potentially be more of a balance there. And um, For example, the popular vote. Right. If, the, if the popular vote is roughly 55-45, but you have, um, you know, what, like, uh, was it 11 to... 13-5. 13-5. Yeah. In, in terms of Republicans versus Democrats representing Pennsylvania in Congress. Um, that's one kind of red flag that's, that's sitting and you know, waving in front of you. Um, but there, there are also some very complex statistical measurements yes. of this as well, which I know, Emily, you've written about some. Yeah, so um, one the, of the... The wasted votes. Right, the wasted votes. So it, it really comes down to efficiency. Um, you want to win... In an ideal world, you win by as much as you can without losing, basically, so you're not wasting resources. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want to win by a a hair, so you're not wasting a ton of resources. And that's a super efficient efficient map. It's a super efficient way to operate. But when you look at 
um, you know, and in this case, we say Democrats and Republicans because Republicans have been in control and in, draw, um, in charge of the last two map drawings in the state legislature. Um, so, you know, if Democrats are winning by landslides in a minority of districts and Republicans are winning by smaller margins in um, a larger number of districts, that's another uh sort of pattern that should invite some scrutiny as to why, particularly if that is consistent for election after election after election. Which it has been. Right. And this was a a study that's, I mean, I believe there have been similar studies prior to this, but the most recent one was by the Brennan Center for Justice that was published in the spring. And they looked at 20 years of congressional election data to draw some of their conclusions. Um, And in two of of the three indices they examined, Pennsylvania was number one, and I think it was number two or three in the third. Yeah. So, and that's so. Basically, there are a lot of complicated measures to tell you that there's clearly something interesting happening in Pennsylvania's legislative maps and our congressional maps specifically. And no matter how you measure that, the upshot of it more or less is it looks like Republicans leverage their influence in drawing the maps to make the maps more advantageous for themselves in these elections. And now we should say, and this is a disclaimer we always use, you know, this is a political process. By design, it's a political process, and the party in charge is you know, they have the authority to draw the maps however they see fit. The problem is now, you know, whether or not that should be the case. And, you know, it's obviously getting much more effective to draw maps because there's, you know, different uh, programs they can use now. There's different things that can make these maps much more effective for a single party. And that's what we're looking for now. That's kind of the option. And again, this has happened in Democratic-controlled states. Maryland's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Democrats gerrymandered there. And, you know, we've seen it, again, in both parties in multiple states. Pennsylvania happens to be a state in which it happened on the Republican side because they were in control. Um, So anyway, we should note also that although the technology getting better has um, enabled more precise and powerful gerrymandering, it's also with the cost coming down uh, of it in recent years, I think you can get one of the programs for a few hundred dollars or several hundred dollars. It allows individuals, nonprofit groups, advocacy groups, things like that, or the minority uh, political party to draw their own maps and play around with it themselves. And in making the case in court, that can, or just, you know, to sort of make people aware, that can suggest that, hey, there are other ways to do this. This is a one in a million uh, result that happens to create the strongest advantage for the party in charge. Why is that? And do we agree that this should be legal, which is the question that's being asked in the court cases that one was in federal court last week? Um, and I think a decision is expected relatively quickly on that, from what I understand. Yeah. And then there's another one up, Katie, and I will be covering it. Wallace, are you going to be there, too, next week? Uh, I don't think we've decided that one yet. Okay. <laughs> one of us will. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll see you there. <laughs> and, live uh, look at Penn Live's yes. decision-making process. We're, <laughs> we're, Katie and I will be splitting coverage for WITF, and basically, um, you know, that, that decision will take a little bit longer. That won't come until sometime in January. But I, 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 to backtrack a little bit, I think part of the reason why it's so important to do this now uh, is also um, the technology of it. Yeah. Uh, what, what we're looking at, um, and for people, it sounds complex, but it's actually not. Uh, if you aren't familiar with gerrymandering, um, one of the big things, one of the reasons why we're talking about it this much now, um, it has been around since the 1700s. 
Sorry. Feel free to correct me. Actually, that's not true. It may have been <laughs> the 1700s. That's why I stopped. Oh. Uh, Keep going. It's been around for a really long, a really long time. Well, it, it's named after this Massachusetts governor from, from olden days. Uh, and, uh, you know, both political part, all the political parties, probably goes back to the Whigs. Yes, they've been trying to draw each other out of districts or into districts um, at least since the 1800s. Yeah, um, you don't, you know, if you if you go and backtrack through all the previous maps, <laughs> you'll find funny kind of weird lines and weird permutations, split communities. But the point is, now it's a bigger problem. Now Why it's is that? easier than ever because yeah. of the same thing you use probably. Every day when you go out on the road, if you're on a road trip, you whip out your phone or if you're an old geezer, you still have your uh, Garmin GPS that you use. Uh, And the same technology that gets you from point A to point B can be used to split up these districts. And and what it is, is it's a map, but you overlay on top of the map all of the data that you have about voting habits. And you can even put in uh, other demographics. You can have racial demographics. You can, you can kind of uh, – any type of men- measurement of a human being that you can imagine, you can overlay on top of these maps. The most important one, of course, is how a person votes. And both parties have this at their, at their discretion. They have it available to them. And in the last, what, 20 to 30 years, there's been so much advancement in the technology. And you can it watch. It's gotten yeah. a lot cheaper. You can watch, too. Um, there's, you know, ways to look at subsequent, you know, you know, consecutive sessions of maps, and you can see where a district for many, many years looked sort of the same. It was, you know, a small, compact district. In the last 20 years, it started to stretch and change. And that's not by accident. You know, there's reasons why these districts suddenly started to you know, morph. Sometimes it's because populations shifted greatly. And that's actually a really legitimate use of gerrymandering. That's why we do it. We reapportion the districts every 10 years for a reason. But sometimes uh, there's not a good reason why this happened. It's a political reason. And so that's what we're looking at. And that's, you know, what people are trying to change in these court cases. A lot of people say, it shouldn't be a political process anymore. Uh, it should be a process where there's, for instance, an independent citizens commission that helps draw these lines. Or it should be a process where there's there's some other person, some other entity that's in charge of making sure politicians aren't doing this for their own gain. Because when you think about it, you know, we think about who's, who's interested in doing what when they have a responsibility. I mean, of course, politicians are going to be self-interested. That's part of what they do. And so I think what a lot of people want to do is ask, you know, is that appropriate? Is that the correct way of drawing how people are able to vote and how they're counted in our elections? And now going forward, because I do want to get into this, you guys, we all have done a couple of stories on this. Uh, I did two of them. Emily, you did two, and you coordinated a lot of coverage. Wallace, you've done a, you've done a bunch of them at this point, right? Yeah. How many stories have you worked on? Oh. On Good this Lord. project, um, like probably three or four. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we've again for this iteration of the project, we really did focus in on specific districts, what the land looks like, what the shapes of these districts are. Uh, big takeaways, either one of you. What did you What did you learn? What did you see when you were out there? Because I will say, we went out just like on the road. All of us went out and like literally drove to like the weird like you know. Uh, inflection points of districts. We went to 
coal mines. We went to cities. We went to fields and just stood in the middle of them and were like, why is it drawn here? Uh, <laughs> and it really, it was a very uh, hands-on, boots-on-the-ground sort of uh, reporting experience. But yeah, so what did you guys take away? Well, the 16th district, which includes mostly Lancaster County, but slivers of Berks connecting, running to the rest of the district and a tiny bit of Chester as well. The southeastern Pennsylvania, sort of outside of the Philly area. Yeah. So, well, right. Removed from the Philadelphia, right, yeah. Philly area. So beyond the collar counties. Um, yeah. That's looked at it as one of the worst gerrymandered. And the thing that I found interesting was the margins there. Well, first of all, from we should mention that if you're not aware, after every census, the maps are redrawn. So that's an automatic thing, and they're tweaked to reflect changes in population. So the last two map redrawings, um, the margins have become, it's become a more competitive district rather than becoming safer for Republicans. So is that an intentional result? Did they anticipate that? Are they doing it to help uh, help out another district where, you know, they couldn't afford to lose those votes. Um, you know, you saw parts of the southeastern part of Lancaster County carved out, which is generally Republican. You saw, I mean, Reading used to be split. Now it's all in its entirety is in the 16th district. So that's not enough to turn it over to Democrats, but the margins have become narrower there. And also just driving through it, you go from, um, well, first of all, when we were driving around the Reading area trying to follow that, I was with Lindsay Lazarski, who's the Keystone Cross Report, Crossroads reporter, who's actually done more on this than I have. We went out together um, and we just got dizzy. I mean, we were like dizzy by the end of the day because we were driving, <laughs> trying to follow the lines. And it just kind of became disorienting because you're, as you're going down the road, you're in one district and the next and in one and then the next. And it's just kind of a lot to process. So then the question becomes, it, should it really be this confusing? Um, but anyway, th- those are some of the big takeaways also that most of it is farmlands. And you've got two um, urban centers, Lancaster, Reading. Coatesville's urban, but it, it's very tiny. And the rest of it is farm that comes through, basically, when you're driving, uh, driving the district. And that sort of, to go back to a point that you made earlier, Katie, about is this the right way to draw these districts, you could argue that even if you followed county and municipal boundaries, these, um, you know, the urban center interests or many of them would be, quote, diluted by rural and suburban areas. So right. that's something to keep in mind. That is absolutely. And I think, you know, a good point to remember here, too, is that, like, you know, it's never going to be cut and dry. Right. And one of the reasons why... I think this is a frustrating topic because we heard you just say we did we don't exactly know why these are this way, why this decision was made. It's not a very transparent process redistricting. Um, when lawmakers draw these lines, a lot of the time we really don't understand the rationale for what they did. So uh, that's another 
component of this that hopefully we get a chance to look at Although in the future. with these court cases, we may very well get a glimpse well, into them. <laughs> uh, so a better far, glimpse. Yeah, so far in these court cases, just for a little bit of context there, because this is currently happening, um, there's been a lot of subpoenas. Uh, there's been a lot of attempts by the courts to get their hands on the information that lawmakers were using. Uh, House Speaker Mike Terzai, Senate President Pro Tem Joe Scarnati, what information they were using and with rationale that they had and communications during the redistricting process. And so far, they've really resisted handing over that information. So that's going to be something that's you know really fascinating if we end up getting that um, into the public sphere. So anyway, that's, again, a component. The process is very, very uh, locked down as it currently stands. Uh, Wallace, anything you took away? Yeah, I, I went across the 7th Congressional District in southeastern Pennsylvania. And, you know, southeast PA, which also includes the 16th District, is um, – you definitely see it where all of the lines are just they, – they would not make sense outside of, say, a Dali painting. <laughs> Dali! Um, you're, you're, you're looking at the 7th District um, – you know, it, it's the probably the poster child for gerrymandering yeah. nationwide because it's it's shaped in such a way. It's it's been called goofy kicking Donald Duck. Yes, and I actually went out to the the very point where Goofy's toe connects with Donald Duck's rear, and uh, in in that in that place, you know, you're it's basically just a hospital. Yeah, um, the 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 width of the district is the width of the hospital property line. There are no voters there, but because, uh, you know, law requires that these districts be contiguous, you need that. You need to find these little points of connection to to connect these what could be very different kind of voters, pull them into the same district. There's another place in the 7th District where the point of connection is a little bit larger than the property line of a restaurant. And it just so happens to be a restaurant, uh, Creed's, uh, out near King of Prussia, a little shout out. Uh, (laughs) It happens to be a restaurant that, that a lot of the politically connected Go to, which is oh, a, that's a really an funny added symbol. <laughs> dimension, of, like it's a wonderful little added irony there yeah. that you know governors have gone there and lawmakers have gone there. The business and political elite from southeastern PA um, go there to to eat and drink and carouse. <laughs> Maybe not corrals, but you, you, you get the picture. Um, um, and, and, and the other thing that's interesting here, and I think this is possibly the most important. You know, anecdote in that story. Um, you know, we went to this retirement community that uh, Kendall Crosslands. Uh, and what's interesting about Kendall Crosslands, it's actually not in the seventh district; it's in the sixteenth. But uh, Pat Meehan, the representative for the seventh district, still sends them mailers because the lines are so confusing that you can't possibly keep track. As a uh, congressional staffer. Uh, who's in your district and who's not, um, which is so uh, – it's so interesting that, you know, the law may, you know, the, the states, uh, we draw these lines and then the, the con- Congress people themselves can't keep track of it. Yeah. What's interesting about Kendall Crossens is it's run by Quakers and Quakers, if you don't know, they, they tend to be more liberal-leaning and as a result, a larger percentage of the residents in this retirement community happen to be Democrats than Republicans. 
Uh, and that's uh, the argument, you know, for that these retirees say that that's, that's why they believe they were carved out of one district and put into another. They also believe that's why they're Republic, mostly Republican lawmakers at the state level and their congressperson, why they never come to speak. Because uh, we're talking about thousands of retirees. Um, retirees are usually political catnip, but these folks say that they, they have never met their their representatives and their lawmakers. Yeah. They just can't get them out there. And that's kind of what you hear from a lot of people, especially people in a district or a portion of a district that's been moved in and out of various, uh, you know, various uh, areas of influence, congressional districts. People, you know, people get confused. And if people are confused for many years in a row, they sometimes tend to disengage. They're not sure who their con- congressman is. Obviously, they don't feel connection to that congressman or woman. So... I, I think it's a problem that uh, you in, know, in Pennsylvania you know, they're all men. By the oh, way, oh, true. Yeah, I didn't even have to make that <laughs> distinction. I also wanted to know that in terms of feeling that your interests aren't represented, um, it, one thing that I think we've all struggled with, the reporters, is trying to make this really discernible. Like, how does this affect people's right. lives? Um, and I think we're all really working on, still working on that, um, and just continue to try to do better storytelling moving forward with subsequent coverage rounds of um, the project, um, which we, is over the line, PA. Um, we, if you look at voter turnout, and this is numbers, obviously, but they are indicative of actual behavior. Um, Pennsylvania, over the last, um, the midterms, last five midterm elections, Voter turnout has gone down 12 percentage points. Um, you compare that to other states, the drop is five percentage points. Is that because of redistricting? We don't know. Could it be related? Maybe. Yeah. And so I, that's a good I, point. Um, I, I do want to interject here because I thought the Montgomery County, the chair of the Montgomery County Commission, which uh, Montgomery County is um, a very large county and it has, it's very populous and it tends to be fairly liberal. Um, the county commission there actually has a great deal of power. And so Val Arkush, she's the chair of that commission, she made a really good point when I talked to her for the 7th District story. Um, Montgomery County is divided between five different congressional districts. To give you a sense, you know, Montgomery County is roughly equivalent to the population of Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming has one congressperson, and Montgomery County, they have five yeah, uh, and and she brought up you know this issue of you know all of those Congress people they don't actually live in Montgomery County they live elsewhere and they represent a little sliver of Montgomery County um, you know she can't point to any specific thing but she wonders you know who who is representing us is there someone who wakes up every day and says you know, what can I do to improve things in Montgomery County? And there are some very big issues right now. Uh, for example, funding an extension of a SEPTA rail line uh, mm-hmm. out toward King of Prussia. Um, you know, she's concerned that, you know, the, in the Trump budget, uh, he called for a major cut to a, a line item, a piece of funding that would be necessary to build that rail line. Yeah. And she's concerned, well, you know, if, if no one's there to defend us, um, to really have us as a priority, uh, maybe we'll get ignored. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, that, that gives a little more of a concrete uh, consequence of gerrymandering this this question of are you truly being represented 
Yeah. I heard similar things, by the way, from uh, the Cumberland County commissioners. They have a very similar situation where a lot of their congressmen are uh, not (laughs) based within uh, or are on the periphery of the district around the county. So anyway, um, we've hit on a lot of issues. There are a lot of issues that are tied up with this, and we are still looking to figure out, again, as Emily said, how to bring this home to people that it does affect you. It affects everybody in this state. It affects how your vote is counted, which is, again, you know, one of the most important things you're able to do as a citizen of this commonwealth and of this country. So um, going forward, but first of all, any other takeaways you guys wanted to mention? Just along the lines of what um, Wallace mentioned about this divided county wondering how their interests were being represented in a similar fashion, the city of Reading, um, they their mayor basically has focused. It's, he's in his first term, and he's focused his efforts early on on things that he has direct control over. So, if, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, even the county commissioners in that uh, in that county are it's you know, majority Republican. Yeah. Same goes for their congressional representative, who's um, Representative Lloyd Smucker. He was a state senator from Lancaster previously. He technically doesn't need the urban areas in his district to win because he's, you know, won without them last time. Basically, everybody went Democratic and he still won. So in the, the mind of the mayor, he's sort of focusing on and this is probably logistically more efficient right, rather than counting on somebody to be able to get something done when they're thrown into the mix of a a big legislature at the state or federal level. But he's really focused on things he can achieve with his own resources within City Hall that he has direct control over. So parking, trash, sewer, truancy, things that he's identified that could impact people's lives that, again, are strictly city issues. And that does have in part to do with feeling like that is the best use of his energy. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that there there are inevitably going to be issues that Reading or any city will need to reach out to their congresspeople for. Right. And if you feel like you're not being heard or that your congressperson maybe doesn't have your best interest in heart, uh, that's that's got to be a terrible feeling. Yeah. So then going forward, there's a lot of issues that we've brought up. Uh, We have tried to address many of them in our dozens of stories that we did so far. Um, But there's still more to do. We're going to continue with this project. Uh, One of the things that we're continuing with right now is covering these cases um, in Commonwealth Court. Emily and I are going to be there. Maybe Wallace will be there, too. Um, (laughs) But I want to put a referendum question onto our ballot. It has to be as a constitutional amendment, right? And that's, again, as I think Wallace explained before, that's two consecutive legislative sessions that that has to go through our legislature, which has a relatively poor record of passing many things. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there's legislation right now in uh, in Pennsylvania that would call for a amendment to the Constitution, but it's it's seeming like it's, uh, it's uh, not moving too fast. It's an uphill climb, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of that's you know some solutions that are out there. Another solution, I guess, if you want to call it that, is there are these court cases that may end up overturning maps. So um, you know, it's always possible that that would happen, and. Uh, 
Yeah, I believe that it's the Wisconsin case that uh, is still pending before the U.S. Supreme Court. Before the U.S. Supreme Court, there's a case from Wisconsin that's relatively similar to the situation that Pennsylvania faces now. And in Pennsylvania, though, there are two cases, one in federal court, one in commonwealth court, which we mentioned we're covering. Um, All right. Anything else you guys are looking at in the future as it pertains to this? I just think I'm hoping to make it more, and I think we all are tangible to people. So, you know, trying to look and, hey, if our audience says, you know, I feel like these decisions haven't made sense for me, for my community. Why are they happening? That's something that we would like to learn about and hear and help them explore. Um, Because the more I think the discussion is, is going both ways, the more we'll really be able to do some good storytelling and show how this is actually affecting people beyond um, potentially, I mean, I make it sound like it's not a big deal for votes to be manipulated or for lawmakers to choose their own voters, as Wallace put it earlier. But sometimes that that secondary example of what that really means for someone's day-to-day life after Election Day can, can help clarify the conversation, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys have anything that you think that we are missing uh, as it pertains to this story and this topic, get in touch with us. Our emails are all on uh, our respective outlets' websites. Uh, You can tweet at all of us. Um, Don't forget to look at all of this coverage at (laughs) OverTheLinePA.org. OverTheLinePA.org. There's a lot there. If you have a question and we have an answer, it, it might be in one of those stories that we wrote. Um, and they're just engaging and fun to look at anyway. Um, all right, guys, that is plenty of time for now. So I really appreciate both of you coming on. Wallace McKelvey with Penn Live, thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Emily Pravity with WITF and Keystone Crossroads. Thank you. Always fun. Always fun. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week, probably back in Little Lamps Coffee Shop. Tune in then. <laughs> <laughs>